So I'm excited to bring the word from Exodus, and even though usually it's verse by verse in Exodus, but we have been kind of, um, I've been really trying to focus on this topic of holiness, um, the, the, the laws. Uh, when you read the first five books of the Bible, how many of you have ever read the, read the first five books of the Bible and you made it through unscathed? You made it? Yeah. Uh, they're called the Pentateuch. Uh, if you read them before, you're going to realize that there's a lot of rules, a lot of commands in there. And that's what makes it sort of hard to get through sometimes when you're reading them, um, especially if you don't feel like they're relevant to you today. But uh, there's about 613 commands that God gave to the Israelites and instructed them to obey. And when you break it up into categories, you can break them up into three categories. There's civil laws, there's ceremonial laws, and then there's moral laws. And if you are a follower of Judaism today, the first five books of the, book, uh, of the Bible are called the Torah, which is the word for law, and that makes up all those commandments. And they, they still, re- they're required to obey all those rules today. So imagine living under that 613 commands, uh, always trying to obey those. God gave those commands to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. Last couple of weeks, you've seen that, uh, what happened on Mount Sinai, God teaching about worship and, and these laws. Now, are you familiar with, uh, I think you are, 10 of the commands, uh, the 613, you're probably familiar with 10 of them. You know, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments, right? Um, but what's interesting is, is if I put you on the spot and I said, you know what, I'll give you $10,000 if you could name all Ten Commandments right now without looking, you know, how many could do it? You know, it's an interesting question. We don't necessarily have those memorized. But maybe a better question is, should we have them memorized? Should we actually know them and think about obeying them? I think Christians will disagree today. Some will say that, yeah, we should know all the commandments, we should know the Ten Commandments. Some will say, no, we we should know nine of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I'll explain why that is in a little bit. And some say, nope, we're not not under the law of Moses anymore. Remember I taught you that last week, and I, I firmly agree, we're not under the law of Moses, we're not under these 613 commands. But we are under something that's called the law of Christ. We're under the law of Christ. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if you never heard about the law of Christ. What is this law of Christ? That's actually the title this morning, the law of Christ. And what is this? If you've never heard it before, it's because it really only shows up a couple places in Scripture. There's only a couple places in the Bible that talk about the law of Christ. One of those places is in the letter to the Corinth church. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, He mentions, and I'll bring this up a little bit later, that he was not under the law, but he is under the law of Christ. He's not outside the law of God, but he is under the law of Christ. So he mentions the law of Christ in the letter to the Corinth uh, church, and then to the letters to the churches that are in the region of Galatia, he mentions in Galatians 6 that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's mentioned a couple times in the Bible. Probably not many people really think about those verses. What you probably are familiar with is this teaching of Jesus when they asked him in the Gospels, this is recorded, hey Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You've probably read this before. 
or heard about this. And what was Jesus' response? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That was how Jesus responded to what's the greatest commandment. So a lot of Christians kind of say, well, that is the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love God and to love your neighbor. But that is so simplistic, which I like, I like simple, that I think it's so simplistic that sometimes Christians have a hard time living it out. They don't really know how to do that, per se. And that's my goal today. My goal today is to show you the full meaning of what it, what it actually means, what, what Jesus was getting at when he was talking about being under the law of Christ and honoring God uh, with loving God, loving him, and loving your neighbor. Like Jesus said, don't dismiss, he didn't dismiss the Old Testament law of Moses. In fact, today I'm going to show you that just like them, we have civil laws and ceremonial laws and moral laws that all fall under this law of Christ. Because the purpose of the law, if you've been here the last couple weeks, the purpose of the law is to help you be holy. God said, be holy because I'm holy. And he wants to lead you into holiness. And he, and he showed them on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai that he is a God to be worshipped. You should worship him. And he wants you to be holy. Now, unfortunately... Quite frankly, sadly, I think it is, there's, there's a reason why a lot of people in our community, right here in St. Clair Shores and, and around, where, wherever you're close by, if, you know, if you're nearby, there's a lot of people in our community, a lot of people. We live in Metro Detroit. There's a lot of people here. And many of them are not seeking Jesus because they're seeing Christians who are not living under the law of Christ very, very well at all. In fact, they would say we are hypocrites. Has anyone ever called you a hypocrite? Have you ever felt like someone was looking at you and considering you to be a hypocrite? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, I want to live under the law of Christ. I want to honor God. I want to live holy life. And, I, and I'm most concerned, as a pastor, that this family, this church, Life of Purpose, is also living genuine, as genuine Christians, holy as God is holy. My parents used to say to me when I was a kid, we don't care what Johnny and Susie do. We care what you do. Your parents ever say that to you? Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, as your pastor, I don't care what the 20 other churches in St. Clair Shores are doing. I care what this church is doing. And I care what you're doing. And I want us to obey the law of Christ because I think when we obey the law of Christ, when we fully grasp the whole law of Christ and we obey it and honor it, then we are living holy lives. And that's what God wants from you. To glorify him, be holy as he is holy. Let's pray. God, help us today to hear this message. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, sometimes we get distracted by many things, but Lord, you brought us here for a purpose. We are here today to hear your word, to worship you. And Father, make it clear to us. Help us see and help us hear. May your Holy Spirit do that for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen? Now, on a side note, I don't know if there's exactly 20 churches in St. Clair Shores. I did a little searching. It's kind of hard these days other than, you know, what people put out there. You know, there might be some churches that are not on the, you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps or anything like that, but there's about 20 churches. Now, there is a church that they might count, they may not count, because it's underwater. 
Did you know we have an underwater church here in St. Clair Shores? That should make us famous, don't you think? Uh, yeah. For real. It, it actually started in 1826. In 1826, St. Felicity was built on the shores near Jefferson, somewhere in St. Clair Shores. We don't quite know where it was at. But it lasted for about 29 years. And then in 1855, they decided to dredge St. Clair River so that more shipping freighters could come through, so the shipping industry could, could happen, and the lake rose three to five feet. And poor St. Felicity was too close to the water, and they warned them, and it basically got flooded, and they abandoned it, and then they moved inland a little bit. But apparently they're doing a, a grant or something to try to find it. I promise you, if I'm out there fishing and I find it, I'll let you know, okay? Anyway, that was just a little extra for you. Civil laws. Let's start with civil laws. What are the civil laws that the Israelites had to follow, and what are the ones that the Christians have to follow today? Well, the Israelites, you know the situation that they were in. They came out of Egypt. They were under the civil laws of the land that they lived in. They were slaves. They had to obey what Egypt, the Egyptians made them obey. But now they're a new nation. They're all by themselves. They're in a new place. They're in the wilderness. They're at Mount Sinai, and they have some some rules that God gives them, a lot of rules, a lot of civil laws, because God knew if they didn't have some civil laws, it would turn into Lord of the Flies. Remember Lord of the Flies, that English class book? Yeah, not going to be good. So they gave them some civil laws. Now, Christians today, we have civil laws. And if you're like, where in the Bible does it give us civil laws? Well, the answer is Romans 13. So if you're taking notes, we always give you some space in the program to take some notes. You can write that down, Romans 13, but I'm just going to read to you the, the first and the last verse of the passage. In Romans 13, 1, this is what Paul told the church in Rome. Let every person, meaning Christian, be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And he goes on to talk a little bit more about it, and then he ends with verse 7. Pay to all who is owed to them. If it's taxes... Pay your taxes. If it's revenue, pay your revenue. If it's respect, pay your respect. Honor to whom honor is owed. And so what we learn from this passage is that Christians are under the civil laws of the land in which they live. And when you honor the civil laws in the land that you live in, you actually honor God. I remember when I was a new Christian, we were going on a retreat in this church that my wife and I uh, were a part of, and it was a newer church, and it was a smaller group, and we were on this retreat, and I was one of the drivers. And so we're heading out, and we're kind, of, kind of, we're kind of a new Christian, you know, and I had this question, you know, wanting to honor God and all we do. I said, so, Eddie, how fast are we going to drive today on this retreat? Because it was a three-hour drive. How fast are we going to drive? You know, and I'm a bit of a lead foot sometimes, and uh, I got some tickets a long time ago to prove that. Uh, but so uh, he goes... He looked at it with me all seriousness. He says to me, Romans 13. And I said, well, that's not a speed limit. What are you talking about? <laughs> he was serious. He said, Romans 13. We're going the speed limit, brother. And I was like, man, that's going to be hard for three hours. I don't know if I did it or not. I can't remember. But the point is, is that we honor God when we honor the laws of the land. But here's the question for us as Christians. What if you don't like a certain law? What if you don't agree with it? What if you know that you can get away with it by breaking it? 
I know some of you are like thinking in your head right now, oh crap, man, I'm in trouble. But here's the point I'm making. If that's how we think about civil laws, then you're not living under the law of Christ. If you're only thinking about how you can break it or bend it or get away with it, then you're pretty much like most teenagers when it comes to their parents' rules. Right? Teenagers, if you're in the crowd, you think of them as suggestions, don't you? Parents, are our rules suggestions? No, they are not. But that's somehow, that's sometimes how we feel about our rules that we have in our land. They are not suggestions. But let me just let me just have you look at it a little differently. Think about this. What a blessing, what an amazing thing if your child obeys your rule, not because they like it, and they probably showed you how much they don't like it, but because they love you and they want to honor and respect you. What an amazing blessing that would be. And maybe you've experienced it, maybe you've seen the other side of it. But that's how our Heavenly Father thinks about our lives. When we honor a rule, a civil law, and we do it because, not because we like it, but because we want to honor God, God is pleased with that. That leads to holiness. You're honoring a civil law. Now, I do have one caveat for that. Okay? There are some civil laws, and I know you're thinking the same thing, and civil leaders that go against God. So what do we do then? Right? I'm not promoting anarchy when I say this. But sometimes Christians should not obey a law. And sometimes we should not follow an ungodly leader. And probably the biggest case in point, which is you can't argue with, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and those Christians that stood against Hitler. I mean, clearly they did the right thing and honored God and we see that in Scripture as well. In Acts 5, the, the disciples said, we're not going to listen to you, because they told them, don't talk about Jesus. They said, we're going to honor God, and we're going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> we're going to tell everybody about Jesus. So that is a difficult thing sometimes when it comes to the civil laws. But I do want to point out that when we do honor them, even if we don't like them, we are actually honoring God, and it's leading to holiness. Now there's the ceremonial laws, the ceremonial ones. The book of Leviticus, if you've ever read it, you'll see there's all kinds of ceremonial laws. God was very detailed in how to worship him, very specific in about a lot of things. In fact, the name Leviticus, the title Leviticus, comes from the tribe of Levi. Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, Israel. And so Levi, or Levite, or Leviticus, it's all about that family that was designated as, tri as the priests, the ones that were allowed to um, lead the people in worship. So God was pretty specific and, uh, and detailed. Uh, but today, as Christians, you know, what, what ceremonial laws should we be following? What, what ceremonial laws are important for us? I think they are minimal. I think New Testament teaches us, scripture-wise teaches us, that we don't have a long list of ceremonial laws. We don't have a book of Leviticus that we have to follow in order to do proper worship. We have really three things that I'll get to. And um, 
depending on the church that you go to, the ceremonial laws may or may not be long or short. For example, there's a Catholic church to my left, not too far away, okay? You might be able to throw a rock and hit it, all right? There's an Assembly of God church to my right, a Baptist church a little further past that. I'm pretty positive that if you went to church in any of those, their ceremony, their worship would be much different than what you experience here. And is that okay? Those are all Christian churches, as they would identify themselves. Last Sunday, I did a memorial service after church, and um, it was at a hall uh, nearby, and uh, it was an interesting group of people in the, in the service um, that I did. And one of the persons in there was a sixth, grade, a sixth grader, uh, a boy. And he was very attentive of everything I said. And whenever I uh, do a funeral or a memorial, I always talk about heaven. I talk about what it means to be a Christian. How do you get to heaven? Um, because I don't want there to be a misunderstanding. And I talk about how Hollywood is not very good at teaching us about God. Um, in fact, it messes up a lot at times. So I, 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 we were just talking about that before service. You know, you watch a movie and uh, does, you know, does it cause you to question some things? I hope it does. I hope you go to the source, the Bible. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing what, what's about heaven and this sixth grade boy had a lot of questions after. The, 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 and I loved it. I loved every question that he asked me. Now, he had attended many times a, a Catholic church and he was interested in baptism and so I could really tell that God was at work in him. But one of the questions he asked me I thought was interesting. He said, what's the difference between a Catholic and a Christian? Yeah, a few jokes came to mind, you know. I, 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 but I, didn't, I, you know, I wanted to do the right thing, and I wanted to encourage this young boy in his faith. And so I did what the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians 9. This, listen to the Apostle Paul. You want to know how to, um, to respond to a question like that. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.20, to the Jews, I become a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though I'm not under the law, but I want to win those that are under the law. You know, those, there were Jews that were, that were people that were still trying to obey the, this law. And so he was ministering to them. And those outside the law, I become as one outside the law. He says, not being outside the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ. We talked about that earlier. I want to win those outside the law. He says, to the weak I become weak, so I win the weak. And I have become all things to all people by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so I may share with them in its blessings. And that's how we should respond as Christians. You might come across someone that is out in left field when it comes to their faith because of some of the things they've been taught. You know, they might worship a statue more than they worship God. And we need to be sensitive to that. And we need to walk alongside them and help them see truth. So I simply said, you know what, to this young boy, a Catholic is just one kind of Christian. That's what I said. That was, how, that was my response. And he was okay because he had about 10 other questions after that. So we just <laughs> kept going. But let me tell you the danger in all Christian churches today, specifically when it comes to, to ceremony, to worship. And it happens in every denomination. It happens in Catholic churches. It happens in Protestant churches. There's a danger, and the danger is tradition. There's a danger in tradition. Every church must guard against tradition trumping truth. Think about that. 
if tradition is more important than truth, then your worship will not be acceptable to God. Jesus had a serious problem with people that love their tradition more than they love truth. I, I, I have the, the, the place in Mark 7. Jesus had this problem. He brought it up, and it infuriated these really religious people, these people that tried to obey the law perfectly. They got so mad at him, they crucified him. They killed him. They had him killed because he pointed out to them in Mark 7, verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. Those are Jesus' words. Moses said, and he gave him an example, Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's commandment number five with the promise. He says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's the consequence of not obeying the fifth commandment. But you say, this is their response, this is what they did with the fifth commandment. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you should have gained from me, that's Corbin. That means given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making, the void, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many other things you do. So let me give you what this Corbin means. Basically what they did is they found a loophole in the fifth commandment. The loophole is this. You're supposed to honor your parents and take care of them. And what some religious people had done is they figured out that, oh, if the tradition says that I designate money, if I give some, an offering, if I designate some money to a certain cause in the synagogue or a certain part or whatever the, the designation is, then I don't have to give it to anybody else. So instead of taking care of their parents, they said, oh, I'm going to designate this. I'm, I'm calling it Corbin. It's given to God. It's for this purpose. I'm setting it aside over here. And by the way, they didn't have to actually give it at the time. They could still use it but it was a loophole to get out of taking care of their parents, and so therefore Jesus points out, you're using your tradition, and it's going above and beyond, above. It's usurping the truth, the commandment that I've given you. Take care of your parents. So tradition cannot replace truth. You cannot let that happen. So every church has to guard itself against the tradition, that it becomes more important than truth. So what are these ceremonial laws that Christians have today? What do we have in this church today? Really just three things. We have baptism, we have communion, and we have corporate worship. Baptism, communion, and corporate worship. Those are the three ceremonies that I believe we should continue. And I keep it at that because I think it's simple and it's important. First is baptism. When you know, and I emphasize that on purpose, when you know that Jesus is God's son, he died for your sins, then you should be baptized. Baptism, laying down in the water, symbolizing your death to your old life. Raising up out of the water, symbolizing your new life in Christ. Christ died for us. His life, his death, his resurrection. When you get baptized, Baptism also means identification. It identifies you with the Christian body of Christ. It, it identifies you as a follower of Christ. It should be a great celebration. That's why we do it on Sunday morning, because you're all here on Sunday morning. We don't do it on a Wednesday because only half of you show up on Wednesday of that. 
We do it on Sunday. We want you to celebrate. We want you to be with the body of Christ. We want everybody to see what God is doing in your life. It's an amazing thing when you get baptized. But if you got baptized as the baby, guess what? You didn't know. You didn't know what Christ has done for you. So personally, I think, but I don't ever force it upon anyone. Personally, I think that you should be baptized when you know what Jesus has done for you, and I think it should be in front of all your friends and your family. And by the way, our next baptism is Memorial Day weekend on Sunday, and there's two people here that are getting baptized, and I'm excited for Ed and Sharon, so give them a hand. If you'd like to be baptized, you can put that on your card if you've never been baptized. Uh, As a believer, I would love to baptize you. And we do that right back here, which is why I opened those doors today, so you can kind of see where the baptism takes place. The second is communion. We had communion today. Communion we do regularly as Jesus commanded us, and I sometimes remind our parents. Sometimes I don't. Today I didn't, but I was thinking about it. I, I love, I, I, we leave it up to you parents. Parents, you instruct your children as to when it's time to take communion. Communion is for a believer, a, someone who has probably been baptized or, or is on the way to getting baptized, but it's when you understand what Christ has done for you so that you take the bread and you take the cup, and it means something. You know, that's, that's the, the purpose, and I love it when parents do that because Jesus said, or Hebrews actually says, that without... Um, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There must be a sacrifice, and Jesus was that sacrifice. So we give thanks and praise that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? And we take communion until he comes back. Thirdly, corporate worship, corporate fellowship. Corporate meaning the body coming together. That's important. When you look at the first church in Acts 2.42, the first church devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, I'm sorry, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They came together regularly to celebrate communion and have fellowship with one another and bear each other's burdens, cry with each other, pray with each other, sing with each other, and hear the word of God. Basically what we do on Sunday. That's what they did, and that was important, and they didn't stop doing that. And then Hebrews 10 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You must come together and worship God together. How can you love one another unless you come together and meet with one another? I can't give you a hug virtually. All right? It's not the same. You can't reach through the screen and give someone a hug. We need to come together as the body of Christ. So the ceremonial laws to me are simple. Baptism, communion, corporate fellowship. And when you obey those, when you honor God with those, it brings you holiness. It leads you to holiness. Finally, the moral laws. The Ten Commandments are moral laws. Uh, The Ten Commandments are used by evangelists to show people that they don't measure up to God's standards. Ray Comfort, one of the great evangelists, uses the Ten Commandments all the time. Have you ever lied before? person admits it, yeah, I've lied before. Have you ever cheated before? Yeah, I've cheated before. Have you ever stolen? Yeah. Okay, well, by your own admission, you're a lying, cheating thief. So you don't measure up, okay? So we all fall short of God's glory, which is why we need a Savior. We need Jesus. But the moral laws are not just a tutor to bring us to Christ. 
They are also for our holiness, for our sanctification. And um, many Christians, like I said earlier, believe we should honor all Ten Commandments. But some say only nine. And the reason why that some say only nine is because the one commandment that is not substantiated in the New Testament. By the way, we did this a couple years ago. We went through the New City Catechism um, on Wednesday nights. And all Ten Commandments but the one, nine of the ten, are all mentioned, quoted in the New Testament, which confirms them as being valid, important for today. The one that's not is the one about the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath. So some say, oh, well, you don't have to honor the Sabbath. Personally, though, having, been, um, having taught a lot about peak performance under pressure and being an athlete and being a coach, to me, you need a break one day a week. You need to stop, slow down, and focus on the Lord one day a week. In fact, every single day you need a break about every 90 minutes, and uh, that should be your time of rest and recovery. Anybody need a vacation? And everybody raised their hand. See, you need the Sabbath. And by the way, if, I would argue, I would personally argue, that the Sabbath came before the Ten Commandments. What happened in the beginning, in creation? God made the heavens and the earth, and he made everything in six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. So I would argue that the Sabbath is something that we should do, but I don't like to argue, so let's not say we did. <laughs> we, we should honor the Ten Commandments. But we look at the Ten Commandments, and um, I, I, I know that um, you may or may not know these Ten Commandments, but they are interesting, and we probably could take, I probably could take a whole sermon and, and go through each of them, but I'm just going to briefly point out the fact that the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God, and the last six commandments deal with our relationship with others. In the first four, God wanted to establish that you are to worship him only. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those all deal with our relationship with God. When you unpack those a little bit, sometimes we mistake and think, well, don't say the Lord's name in vain. That means I can't say G-D. No, that, it's way more than that. It's way deeper than that. It means if you dishonor his name in any way. That's what that means. Um, it, and if you do any of those things, you don't really love God. Because this is what Jesus said. What's the greatest commandment? Mark chapter 12, verse 28. The scribes came to him. The religious people came. They were arguing. They were trying to trick him. What's the greatest commandment? What's most important of all, Jesus? And Jesus said, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, what's interesting about that is he actually quotes Deuteronomy 6. The, the Ten Commandments are listed in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So he actually comes in and, and quotes Deuteronomy 6 and basically points out that those four commandments about loving God, about God, our relationship with God, can be summed up with two words, love God. Love God. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the greatest commandment. Love God with all you are. And our challenge today, in the world we live in, in the culture we live in, trust me when I tell you, there is a serious, there is a serious um, concern for the amount of truth, false truth, that is coming through social media into young people's lives, into all people's lives. We were just talking about this before service, that 
you know, when somebody said something or somebody made a claim, you know, we used to have this thing called, you know, peer-reviewed journals and stuff that we actually went to and, and, and actually we could prove that this is actually true. There's so much stuff that's coming into our lives today so quickly that we don't have the opportunity to even question whether or not it's true. Some of us just accept it as true. One of the concerns in religion is this New Age movement. The New Age movement has been infecting Christianity for a long time now. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, when it comes to energy and, and you know, then, then there's this, this issue of there's new apostles and there's all this stuff that is mixing into Christianity and God is saying, basically in the first four commandments, don't do that. Keep separate. That's what holy means. Be separate. Be holy as I am holy. So that's our challenge today, to not mix in religions. Nope, don't mix them together. There's only one Christianity, and it comes. the truth comes from the word. We renew our mind, and God transforms us, and that makes us holy. Moving on to the last six, loving one another. Honoring your parents, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, covet other people's stuff. So simple to do, right? No, not really. But Jesus told us six commandments, summarized them in Mark 12, verse 31, by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you ask Jesus, who is my neighbor, he won't tell you Mr. Rogers. He'll tell you the story about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is, was, the, was the neighbor. And sometimes when you read that story, or when you read that story, you find out your neighbor could actually be your enemy. The person you least like, the person you despise, that's your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you try to obey the six commands, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be a good boy, a good girl, and I'm going to obey the six commands, and that's going to make God happy, you miss the point entirely. Because that's what the religious people tried to do. They tried to obey all the rules and get it right. But then Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and says, hey, listen, adultery isn't what you think it is. When you look lustfully at someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. When you get angry at somebody, you've committed murder. So he points out you can't try to obey these commands by just simply obeying the act. They, they teach a greater truth, and the truth is, is that love one another. That's how you fulfill the greatest commandment. Love one another. Do you know how many times it says in the New Testament to love one another? It's so many times that I just put it on a yellow piece of paper for you next to your chair somewhere. I mean, the New Testament says it all over the place. Love one another. Take that home with you. Look at that and think about how many times we are told to love one another and we honor the moral law of Christ. And that will lead us to holiness. I want to finish with this conversation Jesus had with a man that was like us. It was a man that was just like us. It's in Mark 10. The verses won't come up on the screen. But just picture the scene. Jesus is out on a journey, and a man runs up to him and actually kneels before him. So he's showing that he has, has a reverence for Jesus. He knows he's a healer, he's done miracles, and he's a good teacher. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you picture that. Maybe you're, if we were living at the time of Jesus, we might 
feeling good about ourselves and what we've done in this life, we might go up to this, this new teacher in town and say, hey, good teacher, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Because that's what he asks. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? I think it's interesting. No one is good except God alone, he says. But then he says, you know the commandments, don't you? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear. He lists which commandments? The bottom six. All the commandments about loving one another. And the man's response is, I've kept them all from my youth. I've been a very good boy. I've loved one another. I've had good relationships with other people. But then Jesus is saddened. It actually says in uh, verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's like a compassionate love for him because he knows the truth. He purposely didn't ask him about the first four commandments because he knows that he doesn't love God more than he loves money. Because then he says, you lack one thing, young man. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and I'll give you treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And the man's response was, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So this man did not go to heaven because he loved his money more than he loved God. And many read this and think, whoa, Jesus, you're asking a whole lot here. Are we supposed to give it all up? Are we supposed to live in poverty? Is that what it means to be a Christian? That's not the point at all. Jesus knew he loved his money more than he loved God. And he wasn't honoring God. He wasn't loving God. He wasn't obeying those commandments. Jesus taught it's very difficult for rich people to get into heaven because they love their money more than they love God. They don't sing that song, Take Everything, that we sang. And I just bring this up because I'm looking at a lot of rich people. I know you don't think you're rich because you compare yourself to other people and you compare yourself to what you see on TV and so on and so forth. But when you compare yourself to the rest of the world, you are very wealthy. And I've pointed this out before. You are very, very wealthy. And it's only by God's grace that you were born where you were born and you have what you have. And so when you have all of that, I encourage you not to love it more than you love God. Because God is a jealous God. God desires for you to be holy as he is holy and love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And when you do that, you live under the law of Christ. You, it, and it leads you to holiness. Obey the civil laws, the ceremonial laws, the moral laws that are the laws of Christ. You will please God. And I believe if you fully grasp, I hope you fully grasp what it means to love God and love one another. It's not just so simple. There's a lot to it. But when you do, you live a life of purpose and you honor him. And God is pleased. And when we do that, when we live holy lives, our light shines and people see that. And that's what will attract people to Jesus. That's what we need to be reflecting his love and his light. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll sing our final song. God, I thank you that you have brought your word today to light so that we could see truth. And God, there may be some of us here today that 
maybe we're feeling a little uncomfortable about how we've been living our lives. Maybe there's something that we recognize that we might need to change. God, give us the courage and the boldness to do it. Father, as we sang earlier, let us make a decision to follow you. To follow your son, Jesus. He gave us the wonderful example to live by. May we surrender it all to you, God, and live holy lives. In Jesus' name.